Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, how about you stop it? Just don't. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, shout-outs going out to the patrons. i got to thank the patrons. I didn't get an episode out last month, but fear not, I have one that's all ready to go that I just have to record. The outline's all ready. It's all there. I just have to record it, hopefully, after this one. That's the plan, anyway. But... It is World UFO Day, so I might go and see a UFO instead. I haven't decided. All right, let's do some quick shout-outs to the patrons. We have shout-outs to Crow, Clay, Tim, Coxie, Buzz, Tom, Libido Works, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Tom, thank you, Rum, Tamara, Amber, Matthew, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Webcomic, Sandy, Paige, Kao, Sean, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Christopher, Vanessa, Liam, Roger, Michael, Terminal Animal, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times 10, Alexandra, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon. Hold on, I gotta get over here and... Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that? Carrie, Robin, Will, Lorna, Phil, Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audris, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Scoston, Lindsay, Hawn, hey, howdy, hi, Matt, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence Strong, who's in my home state of Michigan. Enjoy some better made barbecue potato chips and some Fago rock and rye soda for me. Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn Martin, Jade the Nashy, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, who should be on their way over here very soon. Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan. With two special shout-outs, as always, to Joe Teague and my boy Stitch. Alrighty, like I said, it is World UFO Day. What you're supposed to do on that day, I haven't quite figured out, but... I figured, you know, like, if it's World UFO Day, I better be talking about some UFOs in the paranormal news. And, oh boy, don't you worry, we're going to be talking about some UFOs on paranormal news. Paranormal news. Yeah, fuck, I love that tune, so good. All right, before we get to the the UFO part of Paranormal News, I want to sprinkle in a bunch of UFO stories, but I also want to talk about haunted real estate, because you guys seem to love it when I talk about haunted real estate, so, you know, far be it for me to not tell you about it. This one is at N3041 King Street in Humberd, 
Wisconsin. That's N3041 King Street in Humberd, Wisconsin. It's $279,900, six bedrooms, five bathrooms on 0.35 acres. But here's what it says. Truly amazing. This commercial building with its own 1,800 square feet living quarters has a six-room hotel and a large bar and grill located in historic Humberd, Wisconsin. Has had many updates. Hotels are also rented through Airbnb. Residence is open concept with two large living room, kitchen, bedroom, and two-car two car detached garage. New large outdoor wood burner. Building is haunted. There are multiple reports. It says could be, but then if you just wait a second. Multiple reports from owners and guests of supernatural activities. Recently featured on Minnesota Ghost Hunters, uh, Minnesota Ghost Hunter Group, Sims. Sims, Siminnesota, Siminnesota.com. So let's go to Siminnesota.com right now and see if I can find anything else out about this place. I've been waiting to go there. All righty. The Supernatural Investigators of Minnesota. Seems like cool guys. I like them already. They uh, they search for all things supernatural. Oh, it's a good group, good looking group of people. I like it. But they talk about the Humbard, Humbard Bar and Hotel. Below are two outstanding EVPs captured during an investigation of a bar and hotel in Humbard, Wisconsin. There were many deaths of smallpox in the 1800s in this building, and it's very active. So, without asking them, I'm going to say I hope you guys don't mind. Everybody go to Siminnesota. So, it's like spell Minnesota and then add an S-I in front of it. Siminnesota.com. And, and give these guys the accolades they deserve. But I'm going to try and play this EVP. So when I was sleeping, somebody touched me. And... Go on. Is there someone here? Did you touch me? Oh. Whoa, hold on. I got to play that end of that one again. Hold on. Wow. All right. That is a very cool EVP. And there's another one, too. So let me go to the other one as well. At the 28 second mark, you'll hear what we believe to be. Oh, they think that the first, sorry, for the first one, you will hear what we believe to be. I'm sorry. Interesting. I don't know if I heard that. I heard something. I could kind of see it after someone says it. And then at the 28 second mark, you'll hear what we believe to be the name. Well, I'm not going to say the name until you listen to it first. I don't want to influence you. So if there is someone here, like I just thought I heard somebody, but I'm not for sure who it could be. And if you're, you're here and uh, if you're something that you're looking for or someone that you're looking for, can you tell me who it is? Oh, that's clear. That's clear. Hold on, I want to play that part again. Yeah, that's Rodney. 100%. That's what they say. You'll hear the name of Rodney. And 100%, I hear the name Rodney. So, thank you to uh, Sim, uh, Sim Minnesota, the Supernatural Investigators of Minnesota. Again, seems like cool guys. Um, maybe I'll have them. I'm going to see if I can have them on the show. I would like to have them on the show. But... If you uh, like what you just heard and you were like, yeah, I want to I want to own a creepy haunted hotel kind of thingy in Humberd, Wisconsin. Well, there's one for sale. 
N301, N3041, King Street, Humberd, Wisconsin. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News, we got our first UFO story for UFO World UFO Day. And this one comes from one of my all-time favorite comedians. I've met him a couple of times. He's the coolest, nicest guy in the world. I asked, I reached out as soon as I heard this story. I reached out and asked if he would be on the show. I've not heard back. I'm not expecting to hear back. But if you guys know Dave Foley, please say like, hey, Dave, can you please do an interview with Paranormal Almanac? Big fan, huge fan, love Kids in the Hall. Used to go see you back in the day in Detroit. Now I'd like to talk to you about this because Kids in the Hall star Dave Foley and News Radio, one of the best shows ever, with the amazing Phil Hartman. Uh, Kids in the Hall star Dave Foley shares UFO image and details of an encounter. That's right. Kids in the Hall star Dave Foley once played an alien in a skit, and now he says he's seen a UFO in real life, too. He tweeted a drawing of an object he saw in the sky. After years of interest in UFOs without ever seeing anything, I saw something. This is the drawing of what I saw. I was with a friend who I'll let who I'll let decide if he wants to be attached to this. It moved silently at great speed, hovered and pulsated with lights. And the drawing, it's hard to, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's a yellow, like corn shaped UFO, if you will, corn kernel shaped UFO with three bright white lights, the large one in the center uh, at, at the back of it, like, you know, flying away from them. You have to check it out. I'll, uh, I'll post it on the Facebook pages, but you can also just go to Dave Foley on Twitter and see it for yourself. Um, I want to know more about this. Someone says, is this a bit? And he says, absolutely not a bit. Just sharing what I saw. Many people who have encountered the phenomenon are afraid to discuss it because of the thoughtless and uninformed derision it inspires. Fuck yes, Dave Foley, yes. <laughs> Many who do discuss it have had their lives ruined by that derision. I know others in entertainment have seen some, who've seen something but will never talk about it publicly for fear of being stigmatized, he wrote in another message. The white lights were in front of the craft, assuming that it was moving forward, and those lights pulsating separately from the body of the craft, which also pulsated. The sighting took place in January near Los Angeles, and Foley made the drawing the next day. He said the object was silent and estimated that it was about the size of a Greyhound bus. He also wrote to another Twitter user who saw what he... who that he saw the UFO up close and in detail, adding, the drawing is what we saw. Full craft, semi-triangular fuselage with three lights on the forward face, and it was under intelligent control, not a fragment of anything else. Based on some of what the other messages, it seems the friend who witnessed it uh, with Foley may have been UFO researcher and filmmaker Jeremy Corbell, another person I've been trying to get on this show. i got to try harder. I really want to talk to Jeremy Corbell, who added, all i got to say, Dave... Dave Foley is that your friend who saw that craft is with you. He's probably one of the most handsome people you've ever met. That, and for the clarity, the craft was moving in the direction of the three lights. Ah, uh, God, he seems cool as hell. I gotta, I gotta make sure I reach out to him as well because that guy seems cool. But there you go. Uh, Foley's been interested in UFOs for some time. In recent years, he's discussed the topic on the Somewhere in the Skies podcast and on some other crappy podcast. Uh, there you go. First of the UFO stories for World UFO Day. Up next in paranormal news. If I can get it to load. Come on, computer. Recently uncovered 1947 headline from long defunct newspaper 
offers amazing glimpse at UFO incident in Roswell. The Roswell incident, you all know about that. I don't have to go over that. Uh, where is it? The Roswell Morning Dispatch, a long defunct sister newspaper of the Roswell Daily Record, was published in the mornings from 1928 to 1950. The dispatch covered the news of the day, and as such, it carried accounts in July of 1947 of the unfolding events related to the alleged recovery of a crashed flying disc outside Roswell, along with military's explanation of what occurred. Its historical headlines were discovered among archived editions of the newspaper. So let's get to it. Most UFO researchers are familiar with the Roswell Daily's record, uh, record's iconic headline about the 1947 crash of a flying disc, but not many people have seen how its sister newspaper, the Roswell Morning Dispatch, covered the story. So let's click on it. Army debunks Roswell flying disc as world simmers with excitement. Interesting. Officers say disc is a weather balloon. The Roswell incident... Ba -da -ba -ba -bum, ba -da a sidebar piece describes then-Sheriff George Wilcox fielding calls from media around the world as journalists sought information on what, be, what, could be, what could come to be known as the Roswell incident. I see what they're saying. Nick Pope, who investigated UFOs for the UK Ministry of Defense, says that discovery of the old headlines holds significant for researchers and others interested in the phenomena. It's a fascinating piece of history that time had forgotten. It shows that 75 years after the Roswell incident, there are still discoveries to be made in the archives. He added, any historian will tell you that going back to the original source is priceless when it comes to getting an insight into what happened and how these people, those people involved were reacting and perceiving things and what the feeling was in the local community. I'm going to pause right there because that's exactly why I like doing these old newspaper episodes or finding the original newspaper, original story from when it happened. Because I don't want to go through regurgitated after regurgitated and altered slightly here and there again and again and again for decades. All these websites. I don't want to go through that. I want to go back to the source. And I love it. I agree with them completely. Because it does give you an insight into what happened and how those people involved were reacting and perceiving things and what they said at the time. I agree completely. In fact, um, there's going to be a couple of newspapers uh, coming up soon, very soon. They said that, uh, back to the story, this is just an amazing glimpse into Roswell in 1947, which was ground zero for this mystery and still endures to this day. Barbara Beck, publisher of Roswell Daily Record, said that bringing a new resource to light for researchers is something the paper staff is excited about. It has taken over 70 years for the Roswell Morning Dispatch with its unique articles and headlines to be discovered while looking through our newspaper's art, uh, archives. The dispatch was originally owned by my family, and it's very exciting that we now have a primary, a new primary resource to further understand the history of New Mexico with its undiscovered stories. There's more to that story, but that's about the, uh, that's the important bits of it. Alrighty, let's go next in paranormal news to a very bizarre one. I... I did not expect, not that I expect some of these stories, but some of the stories I kind of like, yeah, I can, I can get that. I know what's coming up when it's going to be World UFO Day, but this story took me by surprise. In fact, someone threw it up on the uh, Facebook fan page, and yeah, I don't know. I'm just as baffled as NASA because the headline is NASA baffled by mystery, by mystery, come on, Kurt, by mystery rocket body that crashed into the moon. A mystery rocket body 
wow, I'm looking at the, I'm sorry, I'm watching the video of the impact or the photo of it zooming in of the, of the impact. It's absolutely crazy. A mystery rocket body that crashed into the moon is baffling NASA. According to NASA, astronomers discovered a rocket body heading towards a lunar collision late last year. Impact occurred on March 4th, and NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter spotted the crash site on the moon's surface shortly after. New images shared on June 24th by NASA show a, show a snapshot of the site. The crash landing left behind a double crater more than 90 feet wide. According to the Space Administration, two large masses on each end of the rocket may have caused the craters, but it noted that the impact marks are highly unusual. Since the origin of the rocket body remains uncertain, the double nature of the crater may indicate its identity. I, and, and no one's coming forward. Like, no other country's coming forward and be like, yeah, it's us. We, we accidentally slammed a rocket in the moon. Sorry about that, moon. Like, nothing. It is bizarre. And, of course, the conspiracy theorists are going crazy saying it's a UFO that crashed into the moon with no evidence of that. Um, and all sorts of other stuff like, oh, we're secretly sending people to the moon still and, and they screwed up and they crashed. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Could be. There's no possible way to know if that's really happening. If, we're, if we are sending people to the moon, where's this rocket taking off from and how come no one's noticing like, Hey, that rocket's going. I wonder what that's doing. Hey, it's still going. Oh, God, it's going to hit the moon. Like, And it just slams into the moon. Not, not the best way to get people to the moon. But again, go conspiracy theorists, go. I have no, no information. Up next in paranormal news, Pentagon UFO study led by researcher who believes in the supernatural. Critics are dumbfounded by reality TV series TV star Travis Taylor's position as chief scientist. Now, I brought this up last week in the last week's uh, paranormal news. The uh, Skinwalker Ranch guy, if you watch that TV show, Travis Travis Taylor, a guy that I had spoken with on this show, seemed like a very nice guy. Um, I interviewed him a while ago with a bunch of other journalists, um, quote-unquote journalists. I don't consider myself a journalist, but you know what I'm saying. Um, seems like a very smart, very intelligent guy, and he it, word got out that he was like, yep, I was involved with the, um, the, the study of UFOs, and... He does believe in the supernatural. That is true. But the headline is kind of misleading because, yes, he did have a lead role in the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, but he's more scientist hoping science can explain the paranormal than he is believer in the paranormal as far as I'm concerned. Now, sure, there are stuff that he does that I'm, you know, it's a paycheck. I can't fault the guy like um, Unexplained with William Shatner. He's on there a lot. And he's saying things in such a way that can be determined to be like, like, it has to be aliens without actually saying it has to be aliens, but he's saying it very open endedly so he can, you know, they can get the sound bite that they need. So that I can go be like, all right, maybe he's kind of a little bit too off the science track, but, but he never goes fully crazy. He never goes fully woo woo. It's ancient aliens. And I have proof that the pyramids were built by ancient. No one has proof of that. Anyhow. Uh, when he when he talked about it, he said that he was in the U.S. Army Space and Missile De Defense Command. He was employed from 2007 until retiring two months ago. In addition to his work with ancient aliens over the past three years, he starred in a show called Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, as we've just talked about. But his critics are astonished by what they call his anti-scientific embrace of the supernatural and the Pentagon's willingness to work with them. I'm starting, I'm starting to see why the government's task force was so unsuccessful in identifying its UAPs 
wrote Robert Schaefer, a UFO skeptic and author on his blog. Look, at this point, dude, UFOs are real. Sorry, hate to break it to you. Every week, we have more evidence that UFOs are real. I don't want to talk to that guy on my podcast. It seems like he would just piss me off. Um, that's about it. I just wanted to, to uh, throw this one on there because it shows that if you talk about UFOs to this day and you're any part of the scientific community, you still get a lot of backlash for talking about UFOs, which is ridiculous because UFOs are real. Again, they talk about them. The government has said they're real. The government says we have recovered materials not of this earth. So knock it off, people. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News, one that I've been wanting to watch since someone posted it on my page. I think uh, patron Jeff posted it on my page, and so I added it to Paranormal News. I'm like, okay, as per my own stupid rule that I created for myself, don't watch the video until the actual Paranormal News, you know, you're recording it or whatever you want to call it. Strange lights off San Diego coast have locals talking to social media. Residents in the San Diego, San Diego area took to social media after mysterious lights were spotted in the sky just off the coast Monday night. With no clear indication of what the lights could be, dozens began posting photos and videos on Twitter, questioning what was happening in their night sky. The post offers several possible sources for the unusual lights, including UFOs or drones from the Imperial Beach Police Department, which is planning a drone light show for the 4th of July. Okay, that's a big one as possible explanation. However, the IBPD said those lights, yep, they're not ours. So instantly debunked. The San Diego Police Department told ABC News on Tuesday morning that the mysterious lights were actually flares being used for military exercises. Okay, possibly. But nearby Naval Air Station North Island and Camp Pendleton both said that they didn't know what the lights were. So, nope, debunked again. I love it. This story keeps throwing up possible explanations and debunking immediately. Uh, Gabe Gunlock took to Twitter with video of the lights. Attention passengers, as a reminder, during your flight, we will... Ah, Jesus Christ, scared the hell out of me. Took to Twitter for a video of the lights. Now I want to see them, so let's watch them now, Kurt. Okay, we're back. There's now five. Oh, there are. There's five now? Hmm. We are totally... Ryan and I are absolutely freaking out, dude. We do not know what this is over Point Loma. Yeah. This is a video live. You guys see the airport facing west. They've had two grouped. Now there's five. They don't it's seem like flares. some sort of pattern-ish thing going on. Yeah, it's almost like someone right was trying to do lights. a bunch of dots like trying light to make light. like a star. You know, like when you make a star, you have five dots. Um, it's very similar to that. The bottom oh, left one just went out. Left one just went out, kind of like a flare. Now I'm back to thinking it might be a flare, but they don't seem to be going down. You see down. over the top right of the screen, there's a plane flying. It's clearly a plane. The way that bottom and one, that bottom ooh. right one went out. All right, the way that they're going out is very flare-like. There's three left. What's weird is they're so static, line. dude. I mean, could they be drones with super bright lights on them? Well, that's the thing. They're not going down like a flare would go down. They seem to be in the same spot, but it's hard to tell because it's a black night sky. Yeah, so I don't they may be so they may be going down slowly, like a flare would. Or they could be those candles. You know, those people that put those candles in a trash bag, kitey kind of thing, and they float off. 
These three are still there, straight line. Although the middle one has gone down into it being a straight line. It used to be up a little bit, so it is getting lower. How much left? How much time we got left? Definitely pulsating. Now nah, we got only 30 right. seconds left. I'll let it keep playing. And he's right. They do seem to pulsate, but again, that could just be the video. Three lights still going. Straight line. Oh, there's a plane taking off. Let me see where the plane, plane takes off under them. So they are up high. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Oh, good, it's ended. I don't know what to make of it. I really don't. I want to see. I want to go to that thread, though. I want to see what people thought. Flight radar showed military flight in the past two hours. Light seemed to have stopped with its return. Coincidence or cause? Okay. But the military said that it wasn't them. Follow me and shoot me a message. I have more footage of the other patterns. Oh, it's a bunch of, like, news people saying, like, hey, we want access to your video. And there's other people with four lights in a square. Here's another video from another person, Rancho Cucamonga. Yeah, same lights, straight line, three lights, straight line. Here's another video from a guy named Phils. Man, those lights really look orange on his video. Wow, I mean, there are a ton. Oh, there's another one from the Phil's guy again. Same thing. They're still out there. Bro, I'm seeing the same thing from a guy named R. White. From a completely different angle. His has way more stuff. Four lights in a square. Six lights. Three in a line. Three in almost like a triangle pattern. Five lights. All right, so these aren't flares. Because flares wouldn't be doing changing the patterns as dramatically as they're changing the patterns. This is crazy because I'm in Clovis, California. Last week I went to let my dog out and I saw these lights right above the moon. I took photos of them also. My mom said it was probably just a satellite or something. The lights were green and I saw the orange lights as well. I couldn't get a good shot of them, but they were also hovering and then they would disappear. How strange. Yeah, they kind of looked like the same lights. I mean, there are lights in the sky. It's really, really hard to determine what they are. Let's New see tonight, floating lights off our coast had the phone in our newsroom ringing tonight. People calling in from Chula Vista to Encinitas to talk about those. We just got that video in before 10. We don't know what the lights are. We did talk to Camp Pendleton and NAS North Island. They both tell us that they don't know what they are either. We're working for you to get an answer. When we get one, we will pass it along. Me too. This is Kurt signing off on this story. Yeah, it's very cool. I don't know. I don't know what to think. They're crazy, weird lights in the sky. Could be flares, maybe. But with the rest of those videos, it really doesn't line up to flares. I don't know what to think about that one. I really don't. I think it's cool. I think it's a great story. I'm so glad that so many people like posted about it and sent it in to me or put it on the Facebook pages. Up next in paranormal news, watch. Iowa driver claims to see UFO in the metro. Jacob Farrell captured video of what he's calling a UFO. The National UFO Reporting Center in Washington State is looking into it. The director of New Fork responded to KCCI stating in part, I have no reason to believe it's an alien spacecraft. He says this video is from Tuesday night on Hickman Road near Merle Hay Road looking north. Alrighty, let's watch this video real quick. No, thank you, please. Oh, Jesus, don't stop. 
All right. Screw you. All right, can we be done with this crappy video, please? All right, take a look at this. A driver in Des Moines claims that he saw a UFO. What's that? The National UFO Reporting Center is looking into it. No, what is that, though? You can see it in this video, what Jacob Farrell uh, calls a UFO. That is a terrible video. He says it was video. last night on Hickman Road near Merle Hay Road looking north. It's so, sh all right, thank you. Eyeball looking UFO. I don't know what to make of it. It was kind of just hovering there in the sky, just kind of standing still. I was looking up like the Elon Musk equipment that he's got up there. But I don't know, because this was one Starlink. object by itself, and it was just kind of, it was just, it was just too weird. Mm, we asked the FAA, they have a legitimate task force for UFOs used by Congress last month, but it only takes reports from pilots. So we asked air traffic control if they got any reports and haven't heard back. So that's cool. The FAA referred <laughs> us to the National <laughs> UFO Reporting Center. Farrell filed a report with them that will be investigated in the flight radar around Des Moines last night. Only shows planes, so it's up in the air, Chris. Yeah, that's crazy. That's weird. Yeah, it's more weird lights. That I will say, though, that on that one, that was the worst video of lights I've seen in a long while. Sorry, dude. I mean, I'm, I appreciate you, you filming it, but it was the most blurry. I couldn't even begin to guess what it could possibly be kind of a video. So let's move on. Let's get off UFOs for a second to a very bizarre story. The Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, may live in Stranger Things-style parallel universe. Sure, why not? One expert, bullshit, has claimed that much like the Netflix hit, the monster could exist in a separate universe. All right, I want to find out how this fucking person became an expert. The search for the Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, has gone on for decades with the true identity of the legendary beast as much of a mystery of how it came to live in the Loch. One expert, though, claims it could spend most of its time hiding in a parallel universe like the hit show Stranger Things. The creature has captivated the imagination of the general public. All right, we already know that. Numerous theories being put forward. No one has been able to prove the monster exists. Now, one paranormal investigator thinks he knows why there hasn't been actual evidence found from the beast. And it involves stranger things. He said, scientists have suggested there could be other universes. And somehow our world interacts with these other worlds through portals. With the Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, people could be seeing a dinosaur that existed in the past. They may see something that looks solid, but isn't actually in our world. That can spread across a whole range of things, such as UFO sightings. Ron, 72, thinks our legend could be akin to that of the Duffer Brothers and the Dungeons and Dragons creatures such as the Demigorgon or the Demagogues. Demodogs. He, uh, he added, some people are more psychic than others. They can pick up these experiences while others may not. It's possible that some may walk into these portals without realizing then they can see these things. There have been genuine... They are having genuine experiences. In a way, this is speculation. Really? I'm sorry. All of this is just speculation? You don't have any shred of evidence to back up anything you say, Ron? Oh, the hell you say. But to my mind, it does provide an explanation to a whole range of paranormal phenomena. Why? How? How? He's not an expert. And why are you talking to him, News? Stop. No. Just, just don't. Okay? Just stop. Oh, there's no such thing as a paranormal expert. And I'll bet money that I have done more episodes, more talking, more investigation into the paranormal than that guy. 
bet money on it now. Ron, if you're listening, Ron72, paranormal expert, if you're listening to this, let me know your credentials. I want to know what made you a paranormal expert and what evidence you have to support what you just said. I don't expect to hear back from any of that. All righty, up next to Paranormal News, celebrate World UFO Day by digging into the Lehigh Valley's recent reported skiding, reported sightings. Look up in the sky. It's World UFO Day, a day set up, set up the rays. I think they mean two rays. A day set up to raise awareness of unidentified flying objects and the possibility that we aren't alone in the universe. The obscure holiday has been celebrated each year since 2001, according to its website. The organizers set up the July 2nd holiday to encourage governments to declassify their knowledge about sightings throughout history. Now, Pennsylvania Gov on Twitter, so if you go to at Pennsylvania Gov on Twitter, you'll find Happy UFO Day, PA. Here are some of the places Pennsylvanians have reported seeing these unidentified flying objects so far in 2020. And it's a pretty filled up map, I'll be honest. There's a bunch of them since 2020. Then they did a, a survey. Have you seen one in Pennsylvania? 29% said, I think I have, with 70% saying, nope. And then someone said, what about Bigfoot Day? And let's see, is that it? What? Where's the rest of it? Now it starts talking about sports. I don't want to talk about sports. Get that off of there. Uh, let's see. Not yet, but I'll keep my eye out, says BU. Yeah, you do that. People around Allentown, Bethlehem, the red dots and fireballs, what you saw is not a UFO. It's just flying lanterns. That theory that I said just a minute ago about the one in San Diego, which very well possibly could be. Aliens don't want to be in the middle of Pennsylvania, says one person. I'm leaving that alone. All righty. That's cool. I like that um, people are having fun and giving awareness about World UFO Day and get out there and look for a UFO. So get out there and look for a UFO. You can listen to this podcast and look for a UFO. You can't, it's not exclusive. You can have your headphones in or your AirPods in and listen to this while you're looking for UFOs. But up next in Paranormal News, new Loch Ness Monster documentary voiced by Dogre Scott to hit UK TV. Monster, the mystery of Loch Ness. This is set, it's, blah, it's set to air on Paramount Plus and I'll be watching it. A new three-part documentary, which covers the full story of Scotland's most famous beastie, is set to air on UK TV. It's called Monster, not a monster, The Mystery of Loch Ness. It'll be narrated by Scottish movie star Dougie Scott and aims to tell the, the complete and definitive story of the Loch Ness of Nessie. I'm not going to keep saying that. Uh, so there you go. If you want another show to watch about Nessie, there's going to be one, maybe in the UK only, but we'll see. Hopefully... We all get to watch it. All righty. Now I'm going to do something slightly different. We're going to go back in time during paranormal news. That's right. It's throwback paranormal news stories. Why? You'll see in a second. This strip, the first story comes from January 2013. Want to own Bigfoot's grave? Site where legendary beast was buried alive complete with huge statue and gift shop, was on sale for only $270,000. This property was located in Toodle, Tuttle, Toidle. I'm going to say Toidle because I like saying Toidle. Washington is the home of the North Fork, North Fork Survivors Gift Shop, a tourist attraction located on Spirit Lake Highway. Legend has it 
that Bigfoot was buried alive at the location when a mudslide sparked by the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980 came over him. There's a ginormous kick-ass statue of Bigfoot on the property, and it's marked as a grave to the Bigfoot that lost their lives during the Mount St. Helens eruption. The real estate listing for the home says that with the $270,000 price tag comes a theater, a coffee shop, and a gift shop, but the main attraction is the 28-foot-tall statue of Bigfoot, which is there to mark the spot where the creature of ancient lore was killed by the landslide. It's cool. It's very cool. So whatever happened with that? Well, I looked into it, and it did sell. It sold in 2017 for only $75,000. That's right. If you can go back in time and you have an extra seventy-five grand, you could own a 28-foot-tall Bigfoot statue that marks the graves of where Bigfoot were killed by Mount St. Helens, plus a gift shop, a theater, and a bunch of other cool stuff. Why am I talking about that? Well... I'm talking about that because that's what this episode is kind of about. You'll see in a minute. But I've got one more flashback. For this one, we go back to April 13th, 2018. The news story says the Canadian village where Sasquatches are said to roam. It was a beautiful calm evening in the early summer 2001 when Doug Nislos and four companions pulled their boat up to a sandy beach in Kitasu Bay, an ancient site where members of the Oh, no. Kittasu First Nation, I'm sure I said that wrong, I apologize, have been harvesting herring and halibut for thousands of years. The bay lay on the ocean side of Swindle Island, opposite Clemtu, a village on British Columbia's pine forest, pine forested inside passage. Boy, there's too many weird names. It's like Star Trek-y shit. But the stories about the, around the fire are that of Sasquatch. That's right. For more than half a century, Clemtu, population 350, is a reliable local source for seeing Sasquatches. They said they've always been there. They've lived in the dense forest and remote area across the nation's traditional territory. They're part of the community and part of the stories of the elders to impart their traditions and histories to pass on knowledge to younger generations. That's right. If you want to go to a place and see Sasquatch, they're saying this is the place to go. British Columbia's Great Bear Rainforest, a 40,000 square mile expanse of intact Temperate Woods, which is the largest left in the world. Hey, let's keep those, shall we? Please, for the love of God, let's keep those. They say there's a centuries-old carving depicting Bagul's a, at a place near Klemtu where there are Sasquatches. So, like I said, if you want to go there, there's more to this story. There's been accounts forever, forever about the hairy men of British Columbia. The local indigenous people call the creature Sasquatch. And they say, look, if you want to go there, this is the place to go. But beware, there's a ton of bear up there, and you might have to shoot a Sasquatch. That's right, I did that whole story to say, if you go up there, you might have to arm yourself to shoot a Sasquatch. And as we know, say it with me, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. That's it. About That's about it for Paranormal News. I want to get on to the story, because I'm way into this episode, and I still haven't talked about the actual story yet. All right, we got merch. Go over to tpublic.com slash stores with an S slash paranormal dash almanac. Apparently, a bunch of you have been having trouble finding the store on TeePublic. And you know what? It is hard to find, and it made me mad. So I reached out to TeePublic to find a better way of doing it. But they said, please direct your listeners to tpublic.com slash stores with an S 
slash paranormal dash almanac, and you'll see the entire storefront with all the shirts, including the limited edition 200th episode shirts. We're coming up very closely to the 200th episode. It's coming up quick, so quick. Got like eight episodes left or something like that. It's crazy. When we hit that, those shirts are going to be starting to pull. After about a month, they're all gone. So if you want any of those 200th uh, limited edition 200th episode shirts, now's the time to get them. Also, they said that there might be a sale going on this weekend. So check the site today. They might be on sale too. All righty, for a quick Hand of Fate update. Hand of Fate update, quick edition. Nothing yet, but I'm sure when Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson show up anytime now, within the next couple hours, I'm betting, we're going to talk about the Hand of Fate. We're going to play around with it, and let's see if we can get anything for the next edition of Hand of Fate update. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Nope. There we go. We are back, and on this edition, let's talk about one thing. It's just a little thing, a little thing I like to call don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. It's not a hard process. You see a Bigfoot, if you have a gun on you, don't shoot the Bigfoot. If you're afraid the Bigfoot's coming at you, shoot up into the air. Let them know like, hey, dude, I don't want to shoot you, but I'm going to have to shoot you. You know, just don't shoot Bigfoot. Now, seriously, how many times have people shot at Bigfoot and then told someone about it? Not just shot at Bigfoot and then never mention it. That's got to be astronomical now, now that it, with the info I know. But how many times do you think that a person has shot at Bigfoot and then told somebody about it? Be like, hey, dude, I had to shoot, I had to shoot a Bigfoot last night. What do you think? Two times? Five times? Okay, maybe 20 times? Well, if these are the options, you best keep guessing because the answer is a fuck ton. A fuck ton amount of times people have shot Bigfoot. Too many times, some might say. Kurt might say. It is absolutely insane how many people shot at Bigfoot throughout the years. Here, after compiling this list, check this out. I might run for mayor with a let's arm the Bigfoot community as my campaign slogan because of how many stories there are. I'm not even going to get, I'm going to be scratching the surface with this episode. It's insane how many there are. In 90 plus percent of these stories, people were way too quick on the trigger. They're like, oh, I was walking through the forest and something came out. I was like, whoa, and I shot it. Okay, got to make sure you're, you're, you know, are you, are you protecting yourself? Or are you just wanting to shoot something in the woods? Cause a lot of these just seem like people were like just itching to shoot something in the woods. And they're like, bah! Oh, thank God. It was a Bigfoot, not a person. It, speaking of that in one story, I think a guy just straight up shot a woman. Will that story be on this edition? You'll have to wait and see because I forgot if I added that or not just now, as I've said that I was like, Oh God, did I add that one? Because it's, it's a lot. Again, I am barely scratching the surface. So for this one, let's go all the way back to June 20th, 1829. This one is a serious grain of salt story because of obvious reasons you'll hear in just a second. All right, we go to the Okefenokee Swamp in Georgia, 
which is one of the reasons I wanted to start with this one, because it's fun to say Okie Finoki Swamp in Georgia. Now, this is where a group of hunters heard about Bigfoot being swamp, being spotted in the swamp right over there. They're like, what? There's a Bigfoot in the Okie Finoki? Oh, we got to go out there and we got to kill that Bigfoot. Why? Is it hurting people? No, no, not at all. We just see it out there. Oh, is it, but it's scary, right? It's exposing its Bigfoot dick to people. No, no, just it's out there. Well, we're going to go out and then we're going to kill it. All right. So after tracking it for two weeks, they finally catch up with it. And because they're dickheads, they just see it and go, yep, let's start shooting at it. And they open fire. Was it attacking them or throwing rocks? No, it wasn't doing anything. It was walking through a swamp. But they start shooting at it multiple times. But it didn't kill Bigfoot. It only made him angry. And the story says that Bigfoot ran up and killed five of them. He tore all the men's heads off. He just, like, ripped off heads. He's just popping their heads off. Now the surviving men kept shooting and finally killed the Bigfoot. All right. You see where I'm at with this grain of salt part? We'll get to the obvious part. There are no police reports that I could find. No news articles with names or details. No Bigfoot body. No bodies of men. No grave sites that said... You know, here lies Steve. He had his head ripped off by a Bigfoot. Nothing. This would have been one of the biggest stories of the 19th century, yet absolutely nothing was written about this one. But it's reported on every site that I could find that talks about Bigfoot deaths or Bigfoot, shoot, you know, people shooting Bigfoot. So huge grain of story. So let's move on to the next one, which happened in the late 1800s. At Bexar, Texas. Now, it's about as much as I can narrow it down. Late 1800s, not a specific date. Bexar, Texas. Okay, that's kind of specific. And it introduced me to yet another possible cryptid or a lesser known name for Bigfoot as far as I'm concerned. But they called it the Legend of the Converse Werewolf. And first I was like, ooh, I love Converse shoes. Those are awesome. You got a werewolf wearing Converse shoes? It's going to be like, you know, like Teen Wolf set in the Old West. But sadly, no. My dreams of a Teen Wolf, teen wolf in, a, in Converse running around in Old West Texas were soon dashed when I got the, uh, the info about it. All right. Mid to late 1800s. A rancher moved onto a plot of land near what is now known as Converse, Texas. Womp, womp. That's where the Converse part comes from. Now, some sites say he was a military Civil War veteran, but who cares? So him and his son, they move onto the ranch. The rancher sends his boy out hunting for the first time, you know, first time hunting ever, all by himself, in a place called Skull Crossing. So, you know, off he goes into the, into the woods, and in a few hours, he returns with nothing. And the, the dad's like, hey, what the fuck, son? And he's like, well, dad... I went to, uh, I had to, I had to run out of Skull Crossing because I was being stalked by something that looks like a werewolf. To which I'm sure the dad said, what the hell's a werewolf? Because I didn't think that it was that common of a thing back then, but maybe no, who knows? So it's like a wolf man. And the dad laughs and goes, nope, go back out there and shoot us dinner. So the boy goes back out there again. And guess what, dad? The boy wasn't lying, apparently, because when the kid didn't return, the dad went out looking for him with some neighbor ranchers. It got dark, and the dad's like, uh-oh, this ain't good. So legend says they came upon a clearing 
and they found a werewolf-looking creature standing over the dead boy, basically eating his son. Take that, Dad. Uh, so the ranchers shoot at the werewolf-looking thing. They said it was between 8 and 9 feet tall. It was covered in dark fur. Now, other ranchers said it looked more ape than a werewolf, but at this point in the story, who cares? The kid was right. He was killed by some big monster that ran away when shot multiple times. So it fits enough to uh, add it to this episode. And apparently there's this thing called the Legend of the Converse Werewolf, which I happen to think is a Bigfoot, but I don't know if Bigfoot just like, you know, tearing into people and eating them. So weird. Is it a Bigfoot? I don't know. Has it ever been seen again? Nope. I couldn't find anything else about it. Uh, So this next one, actually, spoiler, this list is very long, like I said, and many are really, really short. So don't be surprised if I just start cruising through a few of these. All right. Ohio, possibly West Virginia, in 1856. There's a story about, or a, a report about a possible Bigfoot skeleton. But get this. So I started looking into this one saying there can't possibly be anything to this one. Well, there might be. In fact, it's so interesting that I'm sorry, regular listeners. I'm going to keep it for a patron-only episode coming out soon. And we're going to move on to late 1800s, Winston, Alabama, when a moonshiner shot at a Bigfoot that was following his mule wagon. Now, the Bigfoot just kind of shrugged the shot off and then just ran away. Now, one thing to remember here, though, is that 1800 slugs were very big and very brutal. They kind of like tore into people. Yet, the Bigfoot seemed to kind of shrug off the shots and just run away. You're going to hear that a lot. That, you know, Bigfoot takes a couple of shots and was like, no, I don't think so, and then kind of runs away. Okay, up next, October 1879. Williamstown, Vermont. Two men hunting in the woods were surprised by a Bigfoot. That's surprising. Now, one shot at it and wounded it. Not surprising. Now, the Bigfoot chased them out of the woods. Now, this one was reported by the New York Times, October 18th in 1879. Like I said in Paranormal News, I love when I can find the actual newspaper article to corroborate the story. So here's the article. Much excitement prevails among the sportsmen of this vicinity over the story that a wild man was seen on Friday by two young men while hunting in the mountains south of Williamstown. And I'm sure it's not pronounced Williamstown. I'm sure it's pronounced like Williamstown. Now, the young men described the creature as being about five feet high. That's not very big. Five feet high. I'm taller than that. Resembling a man in form and movement, but covered all over with bright red hair. Okay, that's not me then. And having a long, straggly beard. I do have that. With very wild eyes. When they first, when first seen, the creature sprang from behind a rocky cliff and started for the woods nearby. When mistaking it for a bear, bullshit, or another wild animal, really pick one, One of the men fired and his thought wounded it. For the fierce cries of pain and rage, it turned on its assailants, driving them them before it at high speed. They lost their guns and ammunition in the fight uh, or flight and dared not return for fear of encountering the strange being. Ooh, that's kind of cool. So theoretically, up in the mountains, there's a couple of 1800s era guns lying around from a fight with a Bigfoot. That's kind of way cool. Let's see. Um, There is an old story told many years ago of a strange animal frequently seen along the range of the Green Mountains resembling a man in appearance, but so wild that no one could approach it near enough to tell what it was or where it dwells. From time to time, hunting parties, from time to time, hunting parties in the early days of the town 
used to go out in pursuit of it, but of late years, no traces of it have been seen. And this story, told by young men who claim to have seen it, revives again the old story of the wild men of the mountains. There is talk of making up a party and going in search of the creature. That's cool. That is straight from the New York Times, October 18th, 1879. That is way cool. Alrighty, from there, let's, uh, let's go to 1882, Inyo, California. A man named Jack Farrell, along with John Clark and Paul Merton Green, were out hunting in the foothills of Round Valley when John Clark walked up on a sleepy, on a sleeping Bigfoot. So he walks up and, oh, look, this is sleeping Bigfoot. Oh, look how cute. Nope. He goes, Ooh, a sleeping Bigfoot, and he decides to lasso it, which I got to say is the second dumbest thing to do to a sleeping Bigfoot, you know, right after, like, spooning it as the big spoon. That's number one. You don't want to do that. You see a sleeping Bigfoot, don't spoon it, and don't lasso it. And, as always for this episode, don't fucking shoot it. So he lassos it, and surprise, it gets up freaked out and ran away screaming. Paul faints instantly on seeing the Bigfoot. And good old Jack goes, well, I'm going after it. And he goes after it on horseback. Hello, Rum. Yes, you're a sweet girl. He goes after it on horseback. Now he's hunting it for days, finally finding it, feeding on vegetation or berries or something, and he shoots it five times. Let's, uh, let's recap. The Bigfoot was sleeping, so it wasn't doing anything, wasn't harming the hunters at all. They try to lasso it, he freaks out and runs away. And he finds it again, and it's eating plants. So yeah, let's shoot it five times. But the Bigfoot gets up and charges Jack and his horse. Now the horse breaks a leg, or possibly two, depending on the story here. And Jack was thrown off and survived, you know, just kind of like bruised and battered. And for those young kids listening... The horse then got up, walked out of the forest on its own, and now lives on a farm that's free of Bigfoots. Uh, so, yeah. Again, dick move people. Bigfoot not harming anybody. It was taking a fucking nap. If anybody... Look, I take a nap pretty much daily because I love naps. If anybody comes up and lassos me while I'm trying to take a nap, I'm going to freak out screaming and come at you too. Like, that's not cool. Already up next. This one happened 138 years ago on July 4th, 1884. That's right. We're coming up on the 138th anniversary, 138th year anniversary of this incident. Now, this one happened just east of Yale in British Columbia. Hey, that's weird. I just did a story about how British Columbia is like a big hot spot for Bigfoot. It's almost like it ties into this episode. All right. In the Fraser River region. Railroad men from the British Columbia Express Company's train stopped their train when it seemed that someone was asleep near the tracks. Uh-oh, another sleeping Bigfoot. Now they stop the train, they go out to wake up the idiot by the tracks, and they're surprised to see a juvenile male Bigfoot that was startled awake, barked, and started to climb up a steep bluff. Now the workers decided to chase him. Why? Who knows? How about don't? How about you leave it alone? But they do. And one got up above the Bigfoot up on the slope and dropped a rock right on the Bigfoot. That'll teach it to nap alone, not bothering anybody ever. Oh, I just hit this thing accidentally and scared the crap out of myself. Now, the rock disoriented or knocked out the Bigfoot, so they get a rope around it, they capture him, and they put him on a train. 
They named the Bigfoot Jacko. Seriously. They named it Jacko. So, when they, uh, they get a closer look at him, they notice that Jacko had bruises on his head and upper body, and they assumed that he had gotten too near that edge of the bluff and had fallen over and landed stunned near the tracks and was just kind of like sleeping it off. Locals even said that, yep, they'd seen him in the area before that, but thought he was either a bear or a stray Indian dog. Now, Jacko was four foot seven, weighed 127 pounds, so a tiny Bigfoot, kind of a little foot in my opinion, and was covered with shiny black hair. They said he was extremely strong. Jacko did not communicate with uh, other than making like half bark, half growling noises. He couldn't say any words or anything. He was fed berries and milk. And here we go. Now comes the confusing bit. Depending where you get the information, Jacko either escaped the train and was never seen again, or was caged for a bit, shown off to some people, then escaped and never seen again. I will say for you skeptics, I will add this part. There are two articles that seem to indicate that the Jacko story was a hoax, but this whole thing that I just read to you was in the newspapers at the time. It was a big story. After it, though, on July 9th, 1884, so five days later, the mainland Guardian newspaper in New Westminster, British Columbia, stated, quote, that no such animal was caught and how the colonist was duped in such a manner and by such a story is strange. Then, on July 11th, 1884, so just again, just a few days after that, six, seven days after that, the, the newspaper British Columbian reported that about 200 people went to view Jacko at the jail where he was supposedly kept, but the people found only a man at the jail who fielded questions about a creature that did not exist. It doesn't say the guy said, nope, no creature here. Sorry, folks, go back home. Nice to see you, eh? Nothing like that. They just say he was fielding questions, the newspaper said, about a creature that did not exist. Now, if Jacko escaped or was caged a bit in that jail and escaped, then yeah, there would be no creature for these 200 people that went to view Jacko to see. So, did any of the Jacko story happen? No idea. I really don't know. Can I prove any of it? Nope. Can I disprove any of it? In my opinion, nope. So, with that, let's keep on moving because there's a lot to get to. All right, we go to June 1885 in Watago County, North Carolina, roughly 15 to 20 miles northwest of Grandfather Mountain. Now, this one was reported by a 13-year-old Cherokee girl who said that she went to gather food along a creek when she heard gunshots. She said she hid under a bush because, in case you didn't know at the time, it was dangerous for a Native American girl to be caught in the woods by white men. I'm going to say it probably still is. So she's hiding, and she says she heard someone running down the hill at, like, breakneck speed. And she thought, oh, God, it's the white men. But to her surprise, when it ran past her, she saw that it was a male Bigfoot that had been wounded by gunshots. The Bigfoot went down to the creek and buried itself under a pile of leaves, basically, you know, camouflaging itself. And the white men ran past it, and her, obviously. They're trying to find it. You know, they just kind of ran right past everything. She said as soon as they were past her, 
She ran back home, never looking back. So she has no idea what became of that Bigfoot, no idea what became of the white men, but she wanted to get the fuck out of there, and I don't blame her. All right, for this next one, 1890 in Brookings, Oregon. I want way more details on this one, but there aren't any. Two men shot and wounded a Bigfoot. Now, the story doesn't end there because the Bigfoot got up and then slammed the men against trees, tearing them apart, killing them. Here's my question. Unless the Bigfoot then died and they found the Bigfoot lying next to the torn apart hunters, how does anyone know that a Bigfoot did it? Two men shot and wounded a Bigfoot. The Bigfoot was like, oh, fuck that, slams against a tree and tears them apart, killing them. And then presumably leaves. For all you know, it could have been a bear attack, but it's listed as death by Bigfoot with no other information. No names, no nothing. So there you go. Here's an odd one. Let's get into the 1900s, though, or actually 1900, exactly, to Prince of Wales Island in Alaska. An Inuit said that he shot and killed a Bigfoot. He said he came out of the forest, out onto the beach, and where he popped out, he was just about face-to-face with the Bigfoot. So, being a dickhead, he opened fire and he kills the Bigfoot. This one actually kills it. His friends came running up because of the gunshots, and they saw the dead Bigfoot lying there. So, he and two other Inuits bury the Bigfoot on the beach. And get this, there is no follow-ups about anyone ever finding the exact location to dig up the body. But... It's supposed to be near the Clackus Inlet. So we know Prince of Wales Island, Alaska, near the Clackus Inlet. Look, if he shot it a lot like he said he did and then buried it, a metal detector should be able to pick up the bullets. So all I'm saying is someone, you know, or pay me, I don't care, but someone should go up there, even if it's a huge inlet, you know it's on the beach, so just walk the length of the beach, you know, like with a team with metal detectors, Boom, you find yourself a Bigfoot body. Well, a Bigfoot skeleton anyway. Still, there you go. There's proof of Bigfoot. You want instant fame and, you know, scientific accolades? Find a Bigfoot skeleton with some bullet holes in it that we know happened in 1900. I don't know. It seems like it wouldn't be that hard to find, but that's just me. All righty, three quick ones. 1904, Lane, Oregon. Two separate occasions... Men shoot at Bigfoot that were prowling around their cabins. Both shots missed, thankfully, but in one case, the Bigfoot threw a rock at a man who shot at it. Yep, sounds about right. 1905, Gardner Canal, British Columbia, on the coast of the central British Columbia, again. A Bigfoot was reportedly shot and killed, but get this, there are no other details. Again, 1905, Gardner Canal, where's the body? This one was shot and killed. Then, summer 1917, Cass, Texas. A family coming home at night in a mule-driven wagon was alerted by a screaming, advancing Bigfoot. So the guy shoots the Bigfoot. It misses, thankfully, and the Bigfoot runs away. The reason I want to add that one is we have stories from Upper Canada all the way down to Texas for the past hundred and some years of Bigfoot being seen there and being shot at. Let's move on to 1917 Nawada, Oklahoma, another southern one, or possibly South Coffeeville. The reason I say that is it seems like it actually happened in South Coffeeville and has been misidentified um, or moved to Nawada, Oklahoma. 
a person uh, came forward. They said, hey, you know, my grandma always told me this story. She owned a ranch near South Coffeyville in 1917. And she said that Bigfoot used to come around their barn all the time for the produce and fruit and whatnot. One time, her neighbors, the grandma's neighbors, caught something in their barn one night and wanted her family to come and see it. So they said they all went over there. When they got near to the barn, they could hear loud banging coming from inside the barn. And the neighbors got their guns because it sounded like whatever was in the barn was about to tear it apart. In fact, they got so scared it was going to get out that they all started to shoot their guns directly into the barn. She said that it was a big crash that was heard from the other side of the barn. When the men went around, they saw a huge hole and tracks leading off into the woods. Now, these weren't bear tracks, she said. They were large human footprints. Alrighty, for this next one, let's go to the 1920s to Walla Walla, Washington. Again, just like Okie Finoki, I basically added this one because I like saying Walla Walla, Washington. Hunters shot and wounded a Bigfoot, but the Bigfoot ran away. As it was running away, a second Bigfoot appeared and threw boulders at the hunters. That's all you need from Walla Walla, Washington. All right, this next one is from the 1920s in Lake California. And it actually has a surprising scientific explanation once I started kind of digging into this one. The story says that a man hunted a red-haired wild man that lived in caves above the lake. Get this. It wasn't actually a Bigfoot at all, but rather a tribe of Native Americans that were tall for Native Americans. They were around the six-foot, six-and-a-half-foot uh, tall range so they were they were taller and they had bright red hair their st- their skeletons and I'll get to why they're skeletons their skeletons were actually studied in the 1970s and the tribe was written about way back in 1883 as a tribe of red hair red-headed cannibals or red-haired cannibals the uh oh I wanted to look this up how to say it the Powits. the uh, there's a Native American tribe around there uh P A I U T Yes, Paiutes, I think it's Paiutes. They named the giants C-T-K-A, which I'm sure I butchered and I apologize, but it translates to tool eaters or man eaters. The majority of the tribe were out there eating people, basically, being cannibals, hurting other tribes and other um, frontiersmen to the point where the other tribes were like, enough and they trapped the majority of this red-headed tribe in those caves that I just talked about where that one was seen in the 1920s. And they actually set fire outside of the cave, basically asphyxiating them all inside the cave. Now, this story was considered legend by 1920s. So, you know, there were like there was a few expeditions that were made to see the red-haired, you know, red-haired giant's bones in the caves, but nothing was found except for bat guano. So all the expeditions kept coming back saying, there's nothing up there but a massive amount of bat guano. Then we cut to 1911. So nine years prior to this guy that was hunting a red-headed wild man. 1911, miners got word of this cave that had all this bat guano in it, and they were hey, you know what? There's value of bat guano being used as fertilizer to all these frontiersmen and all the crops they're, they're planting. So let's go up there, and they start hauling it out. 
Soon after they started hauling it out, they started turning up bones, baskets, weapons, tools, duck decoys, basically everything you could think of for Native Americans. And that's when they described a six-foot-six mummy. James H. Hart, one of the miners, wrote that the mummy was found in the north-central part of the cave about four feet down, had hair that was distinctively red. Now, initially... Um, scientists thought, oh, well, the red hair is just the oxidation from the rust or something in the metals in the, in the cave and the mummification, natural mummification process. There is no such thing as a red-headed Native American tribe that was six foot six. But that discovery spurred an archaeological dig in 1912, followed by a second dig in 1924 when thousands of art- artifacts about uh, and about 60 Average height mummies were then found. Now, big thing to note, not all the mummies were very well preserved, but one of them was reportedly boiled and destroyed by a local fraternal lodge that wanted a skeleton for initiation purposes. How fucked up is that? So they did more studies, including radio data carbon, or radio carbon dating, sorry, that showed the cave was occupied from about 2000 BC to about 900 AD. The fact that a red-headed wild man was seen in the 1920s leads some to believe that a few survived from that tribe in the 1800s when they were all supposedly killed and are out there still wild. And I got to say, I'm kind of with them. This was thought, again, to be a total hoax, a total bullshit, never going to happen kind of a thing until science kept getting more expeditions, kept finding more mummies, kept getting more evidence that this tribe existed. So, in essence, a man hunted and shot at a red-headed Native American that lived in those caves. That's insane. In the 1920s, that's crazy. All right, the next one. No proof. No evidence, no nothing. Um, oh, and also, when I asked the university on file, there's nothing. On, or when I asked the university if there's anything on file, they said no. This one goes to 1921. Terrebonne, Louisiana. Hunters killed a Bigfoot, then dumped the body in an old well. Later, a skeleton was found in that old well, and someone went, that's not a human skeleton, that's a Bigfoot. And it was taken to the Tulane University, where it disappeared. I contacted them, and they said... They don't have a freaking clue what I'm talking about. There has never been a Bigfoot skeleton at Tulane University. So let's keep on moving on to 1924. Deschutes, Oregon. Probably didn't say that right. A prospector shot a Bigfoot five times, but only wounding it, and the Bigfoot ran away. 1928, South Bentnick Arm near Bella Coola, British Columbia, yet again. On the coast of central, central British Columbia, George Talio or Taleo shot and killed a Bigfoot, he said. Now, he said he left the body right there and did not come back. He said he was so scared after he realized he had killed not a bear, but an actual Bigfoot. Said, nope, nothing. Here's the weird thing. I couldn't find anything when I searched for the name George Taleo, apart from stories that match basically what I just said. 1930, Kowaltwa. Kitasu Bay in Swindle Island, British Columbia, again. A man named Tom Brown saw a Bigfoot in the shallows of the water at night, so he shoots at it, and it screams. He went back the next day, no body. Again, 
nothing except for the same regurgitated story when you look up Tom Brown. Uh, let's see, 1937, Green River, Washington, and the Cascades east of Tacoma, Washington. A hunter saw a bear grubbing on a log, grubbing in a log, like looking for grubs in a log, and shot and killed it. When he got up close, he went, oh, no, that's not a bear. That's a Bigfoot. He went, oh, crap, I think I shot a hairy man, basically a human. He was like, nope, uh-uh. And he said he buried it under a pile of rocks and never told anyone until his deathbed. Unfortunately, he could not give any more um, instructions on how to locate the pile of rocks where it happened other than Green River, Washington, in the Cascades, east of Tacoma. So somewhere out there, if you believe this man, which I do, because why would you confess it on your deathbed? Like, oh, by the way, a long time ago, I shot a Bigfoot. I got to go by and die. Yeah, he shot a Bigfoot. So somewhere out there, there's a Bigfoot grave just waiting to be rediscovered or uncovered, however you want to word it. Alrighty, 1940s Yukon Territory. A man saw a 10-foot-tall Bigfoot, and he shot at it with a 30-06, which I got to say should have put down that Bigfoot. That is a brutal caliber, but it didn't put it down, and the Bigfoot ran away. 1940, let's go to southeastern Missouri, where Jared Sparks said he killed a Bigfoot. He described it as, I killed something that looks like a gorilla. He said he'd been killing horses and cattle by tearing them apart, so he was just doing his due diligence by killing this thing. This is 1940. Where'd the body go? Again, it seems very weird. This guy came straight out and said, yep, I killed it right there. There it is. Oh, no body. Fall of 1941 near Basket Lane, Manitoba. A 17-year-old boy was out, uh, out hunting, and he shot, and he said he killed a Bigfoot. He thought it was a moose. Take the fucking gun away from that kid. If you can't tell the difference between a moose and a Bigfoot, don't be shooting at shit. He says he left it in the forest because he thought it was a human being, and he was hunting out of season, and he went back sometimes later, but the body was gone. So Kurt here. I have a feeling this 17-year-old actually killed somebody and then animals kind of like scurried off with it. Bullshit. I'm calling bullshit. Absolutely insane. So the one I teased about earlier is so far down the list that it's going to have to be on a sequel episode. Absolute sequel episode because I'm an hour and 16 minutes into it and I'm only into... What year? What year am I at? 1941. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to keep going. I don't care. I'm going to keep going. That's because I'm only at 1941. This is, this is terrible. All right, let's go on to... <laughs> I had to include this one. Um, May 1966. I'm going to skip ahead. To, let's get up to the 1960s. May 1966 to... Spillamachine, British Columbia, yet again. British Columbia leading the way with Bigfoot sightings, or Bigfoot killings, sadly, where a man says he was out in the woods and he was watching two Bigfoot have sex while another Bigfoot watched. So what did he do? I'm sure he, I'm sure he masturbated. I bet money he masturbated, but he didn't say that. He said, what did I do? Nope, I shot at the Bigfoot that was watching the other two. He said, he, but he missed it. He's I was out there hunting grizzly, 
came across, there was two Bigfoot having sex. Third one was watching it. I had to shoot at that third one that was watching it because that's what I was doing was watching it. Um, but he missed. All three Bigfoot ran away. What a fucking buzzkill. Uh, December 1967, Teton National Forest near Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Two college students from Marshalltown, Iowa, Lyle Bingaman and Mike Burton, shot and killed a Bigfoot. They thought it was a bear. They were terrified that they killed a human being and they would be, you know, prosecuted for murder. And uh, there's actually a story about it. So I'm going to read the story straight up. In the early winter of 1968, two young men from Marshalltown, Iowa, set out by car on a hunting expedition to Wyoming near Jackson Hole. They shot a coyote out of the car window, and when it did not go down, they got out of the car and followed a blood trail into the snow to complete the task. A-holes. They scrambled up over a small hill beside the road and stopped dead in surprise at the sight of a large, dark, ape-like figure standing in the snow and facing him about 300 feet away. It looked like a gorilla... It looked like a gorilla to them, and thinking that it must be an escaped animal with maybe a reward on its head, one of them, they would not say which, took aim with the Scope 30-06, again, a big enough caliber, and they said they shot it in the chest. It fell over backwards in the snow, and when this happened, they ran up to it. The thing was lying on its back, arms by its side. It was six and a half feet in length, heavily built, and covered with hair, but with the face bare of hair. The face was very human with the short nose... Wide mouth, etc. The eyelids were fluttering and the fingers were opening and closing. Blood oozed from a hole in the chest and was gathering in the sunken hollow of the chest. Oh, that's terrible. The creature made no sound. Horrified, they shot a human. At this point, fuck off, because you had it in a scope. You saw what it looked like, which they thought might be the mutant offspring of a nearby family or something, maybe hidden for years, at last escaped. They turned and ran down the hill and jumped in the car and drove nonstop all the way back to Marshallton, Iowa. Seven years went by, and probably most in fear of prosecution, they told no one of the incident. Then, one of them whispered it to his father, who told his mother, and so, in 1975, it came to this person who's writing this story. The two men were Marshalltown residents, Lyle Bingaman and Mike Burton. I contacted them, and I promised them confidentiality, except you just said their names, and then submitted detailed questionnaires, which they completed and returned to me. I then asked if they would come to Jackson Hole and meet me and take me to where the incident happened. Burton said no, but Bingaman agreed, and so I sent him an air ticket, and a little later, he met me in Jackson Hole. Then took me to where he believed the place was. However, having been there during the brief time of the incident for only a couple of minutes, it was now seven years later in the summer without snow, he was unable to verify the actual place. He said that it had been that it was on a ridge running down to the road on an angle somewhere south of Jackson Hole. Uh, Bingaman, who I remembered as a pleasant, incredible young man, left and went back to Marshalltown, but a little later returned to Jackson Hole and then moved to Lander, Wyoming, where he became a school teacher. We kept in touch for a while, then I lost contact. Mm, that's about it. That's about the best. It's just the rest of it is just him and this guy, you know, becoming friends. And this man's that the guy that wrote it, his name was Peter Byrne. So a lot of details about this story. Um, a sad, horrific story. I hope those guys never went hunting again, because again, why are you shooting a coyote out of a car window? What a dick. All of it about it. I don't like anything about those guys. I wish the Bigfoot would have ripped them apart. Yeah, I said it. All righty, let's go from there to, let's jump ahead to 1975. I want to kind of get more recent. Uh, October 1975, Lumi Indian Reserve near Bellingham, Washington. This is where the captain of a police force said that he shot at a six and a half foot tall 
or six foot plus tall Bigfoot. Here's an article about that one. Lumi Indian Reserve, Washington. More than 100 reports of a Sasquatch-like have been of a Sasquatch-like have been swept this reservation seven miles west of Bellingham, and witnesses include all three members of the local police force. Sergeant Ken Cooper of the reservation's police force said in a telephone interview Tuesday from his home that the tiny federal government-operated police force has been swamped with the reports since late last, sem- last September. Sergeant Cooper said he's never seen or heard the Sasquatch, which he described as an ape-like being standing about seven and a half feet high. Three, he has never seen or heard, which has been described as an ape-like being standing seven and a half feet high three times since October 10th. He, so he has seen it or hasn't? Oh, this is horribly written. He says that most of the sightings have come from a confined area of about four square miles on the reserve. The Sasquatch has been blamed for the death of three dogs and a neck wound on a horse that required 16 stitches. He said there are no re- there are no people on the road at night now. Most people did not believe the first reports, but when they saw the Sasquatch footprints or heard it, they changed their minds. Sergeant Cooper said so many people were chasing the Sasquatch with guns that the Lumi tribe or Lumi tribal council voted to outlaw shooting the creature. Good. We get reports every other day. In fact, I just received one minutes ago. The first time he saw the Sasquatch, so he did see it. This is terribly written. It was on October 10th. It ran off into the bushes. On October 24th at 2.20 a.m., he was able to observe the Sasquatch for a long time from a range of about 35 feet. After answering a complaint about the Sasquatch, he came around the back of a house where a window had been ripped out. It was like there was a being there about seven and a half feet tall. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. He said the being was covered in black fur or black hair and was very muscular. After the sighting, he checked an encyclopedia and found the legendary Sasquatch resembled an orangutan, except, and the orangutan spelled wrong. Whoever wrote this, I hate you. Um, except in size and color. It was, it was steaming as if it had been running. It had upturned nostrils and almost no neck. He added the being looked very different from his relative descriptions of the Sasquatch. But Sasquatch hunter John Green said in an interview Tuesday that Sergeant Cooper has definitely seen a Sasquatch. He said Indians believe Sasquatches to be more human-like than they actually are. Sergeant Cooper is a Lumi Indian. When asked if he was scared of the Sasquatch, he said, no, I had a sawed-off shotgun with me. He decided not to shoot it. Good. He'd been anxious to see the beast when the sightings first came in. He said, now I hope I will never see it again. It hunched down in the bushes but did not run away. It looked like it was studying us. He said that it was just there was just two spotlights from the eyes for just a long time. We just backed off and left. He said he was unable to photograph it because of the police department's cameras out of order. But on November 1st, he obtained a 20-second recording of the Sasquatch yell with a dictaphone. He recorded the yell, which he said was very powerful and high-pitched, while the Sasquatch followed alongside his car. The car was moving at 10 miles per hour. He yelled. He called his brother Lee, also a police officer, on the radio while the Sasquatch was yelling. That sound was heard all over Watman, Whatcom County. And there's more to it, but that's about the end of it. So, again, very cool. The story uh, came from the Vancouver Sun, November 12th, 1975. So, right when this story, a month after that story was um, was out there. All right, we're up about an hour and a half. All right, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it right here. That about does it for this edition. But, like I said, if you haven't guessed, I'm only in the 70s. I barely scratched the surface. There are a ton more. I mean, an absolute ton more. I can, um, I can scroll on. And I skipped a bunch, too. Like, I skipped a bunch in the 50s and 60s to kind of get, like, I was cherry-picking and being like, oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, 70s. 
a ton in the 70s. Holy crap, 70s booming time. 80s, 90s, not too many in the 90s. Um, 2000s, I can pretty much cruise through the 2000s pretty quick. It was, it, it, you know, the list kind of peters out around 2006, but... I still, like I said, I've got plenty. So maybe, depending on uh, how I feel next week, maybe next week's episode will be part two to this, and I'll keep on going, or maybe I'll save it for later. Sometimes I like to, like, you know, then put it away because it's a lot of research, and I'll come back to it at a later time. I don't know. But, all right, what do you guys think? Should people stop shooting Sasquatch? What's that? The answer is yes. Oh, okay, good. That's the only answer that I accept right now. Stop fucking shooting. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. By the way, there are a couple of Don't Fucking Shoot Bigfoot shirts available at TeePublic, but, you know, I already I already pimped the merch earlier. Look, I don't get it, man. I really don't get it. These people are way too fucking trigger happy. And maybe that's just a thing. Like, when people are out there in the woods and they're getting scared, they're just immediately trigger happy. That's why hunting accidents happen. I don't know. But you can't confuse a moose for a Sasquatch. And if you do, again, you should never have a fucking gun, dude. You come out of a, a clearing and you see two Sasquatches going at it while a third's watching, you just hit the porn jackpot. You have a story to tell at every bar for the rest of your life. You don't have to fucking shoot at them. You just sit there and watch and go, huh, that's how a Bigfoot fucked. All right, there you go. You don't have to shoot at them. Come on, guys. You come out of a clearing and there's a Bigfoot standing there. You don't go, ah, Bigfoot, shoot. No. You go, oh, Bigfoot, is he coming at me? No, it doesn't seem to be coming at me. Seems to be walking away or eating vegetation and berries. I think I'll let him eat the vegetation and berries. Like, as much as I want a Bigfoot skeleton for science so we can finally say without a doubt that Bigfoot are real so everybody will stop making fun of me for believing in Bigfoot, I don't want a Bigfoot to be killed because of it. But as you heard on this story, a few were killed and buried and they're out there to be found. Those graves are out there to be found. So let's get on it. Let's find one of those. I, you know what? I guess since I asked for haunted stuff and I received it, I should ask for a Bigfoot. A real one. So if you or a relative killed a Bigfoot a long time ago and are 100% sure it's a Bigfoot, send it to me. Why not? Let's see what happens. Uh, that's going to be an unboxing video. I can't even imagine. Oh my God, there's a seven foot tall box at my door. What could possibly be inside? Oh, it's a dead Bigfoot. Look at the dead Bigfoot, everybody. But fuck it. Again, it's got to be a real Bigfoot. No Bigfoot costumes. No dead people in Bigfoot costumes. No red haired Native Americans that you killed for some stupid reason. 100% has to be a Bigfoot. I would prefer it to be a Bigfoot skeleton from like a long time ago with like a gunshot hole in it or whatever. But uh, instead of like a, you know, a rotting Bigfoot corpse that I now have to prop up behind me, but I'll take what I can get. So uh, again, I'll throw that out there. Let's see what happens. Let's see what comes from that. Nothing good is the answer, Kurt. You already know it, but there you go. Uh, that about does it for this first edition of don't fucking shoot Bigfoots. Just stop it. Don't do not do it. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sam. Oh, that's crap. I didn't start the music. Hold on. Let me start. Let me uh, let me banter for another couple seconds here. Uh, again, if you've got um, paranormal news bumper music, send it to me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com for the 200th episode. I'm looking for some new cool bumper music for the, for the episode and for paranormal news. 
Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Stroke me a